Now, I don't think this is the most important message that you will ever hear in your life. I, I don't. I think the most important message that a person will ever hear is the one they heard right before they asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart and save them. I don't care who it was from or what was really being said or what was being taught. The truth of the matter is the most important message that you will ever hear in your life is that message that you heard right before you said, oh, now I get it. I'm going to call on Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. That is the most important message you will ever hear. And as a child of God, you're going to hear a lot of other messages. But let me tell you this one. I think, I think this one ranks right up into the top ten. The truth about following Jesus. The truth about following Jesus. Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions that get in us. And I don't know if we're doing it to each other or if it's the world doing it to us because you'll hear people say, well, I didn't know Christians acted like that. Well, really? I don't think I forgot a cuss word prior to being saved after I got saved. Do you? I had a temper before I got saved. I still have a temper now. I still can have thoughts like I before. I, I can still have those thoughts. Now, I can conjure anyone I'm up right now, right here in this service if I want to. So where did this come from that I don't think Christians ought to act like that? Well, you know, I thought you were a Christian. You, act, you did that. You act, Really? So I'm not sure if the world did it or we're doing it to ourselves. But let me tell you a little bit about following, following Jesus. The Bible says, and let me pray first. Father God, I want to ask you this morning to bless this message. And Father, this isn't an important message because I'm teaching it. It's an important message because Jesus taught it. And I'm just repeating it. So I pray for every brother and sister in Christ in here. Everyone who feels like maybe you're mad at them. Everyone who feels like they've, they've lived a low life. They've made some mistakes. They've been abused. And they got messy, even by somebody else's hand or by their own. I want to pray this morning, Father, that you would speak right into our hearts and lives. Remind us of our incredible value and our incredible worth. Where because, Father, we've been beat down pretty low in life, we don't have to settle for low living because of the value and the worth that you placed on us. So bless us today. Use this message. Bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 on the side screen. By the way, back in the back, I have changed around my points, so follow me and not your outline this morning, and just we'll just wing it together. Here we go. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. The Bible says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And let me just stop for a minute and say, thank God for some people. Thank God for the some people in our life that will do whatever they've got to do to pray for us to love us, to be patient with us, and to say, hey, will you come to church with me? Thank God for the some people that no matter what we're going through, they'll say, you know what, you need a little bit of what I got. You need a little bit of Jesus. No, I'm not perfect, and I'm not doing everything right, but won't you just come to church with me? Thank God for the some people that will go to a kid's camp and just spend up all day and all night at a kid's camp, just loving on them, protecting them, keeping your kids safe and pouring God's word in. Thank God for the some people. Thank God for the some people that will just, that you can call in the middle of the night, that will stay up with you, that will care for you. Thank God for the some people that are just there for you and I every time that we have a need where we can get to Jesus. And they begged him, these are the some people, to touch this man, their friend, and heal him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village now, now, wait a minute, didn't Jesus just get to the village? I, I think he just walked into the village. Some people brought a blind man to him, and Jesus takes him by the hand and walks him out of the village. 
Now, what was that about? Because Jesus just got there. Why is he changing his agenda for this blind man? Well, you got to know something about Bethsaida. Bethsaida was a very wicked, godless uh, community. A very, it was a harbor town where sweaty old men would work and women who could make money off sweaty old men who had been out to sea would work as well. Are you following what I'm saying? This was a very worldly place. This was a godless place. Only three times in the Bible did God ever say, Whoa, unto that city. And Bethsaida was one where Jesus said, Whoa, unto the town of Bethsaida. So this was a bad place. Matter of fact, after Jesus dealt with this man, the first thing Jesus told this man was, Do not go back into the town of Bethsaida. Now, Jesus was there working, but he wasn't there living. Quick side note. You can work in an environment that you can't live in. And there's some environments you should work in, but you can't stay there. You can't live in that environment. So Jesus took this man by the hand and led him out of the environment that he had gone into. Then spitting in the man's eyes. You people on the front row, and I'm down here on front teaching, and I'm spitting on you, just shut up. This is a Jesus thing. He spit right in the man's eye. Can you imagine that? So he spit in his eye, and he laid hands on him and asked, can you see anything? And the man looked around, and he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. And then everybody read this, what, what's underlined? Read it with me. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. Again, one more time. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. And his eyes were open, and his sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Just a few thoughts on this passage. Number one, Jesus asked the man, do you see anything now? Do you see anything now? Now, I've got to ask you a question. Do you think Jesus needed that information? Do you think he didn't know? We're talking about Jesus. Does Jesus have to ask the sea, how deep are you? Does Jesus have to ask the sky, how many stars are you holding? No. So did Jesus really have to ask this man, how you doing? No. Because Jesus, the Son of God, already knew how he was doing. So here's the question that I've got to ask. Why do you ask it? If Jesus, the Son of God, knew that this man still could not see clearly, why did he ask the man the question? And are you ready for this? He asked the man the question to give the man the opportunity to confess. Confess what? That one touch from you, Jesus, was not enough. Uh-oh. That one touch from you was not enough. Here's the truth about following Jesus. Are you ready for this? I'm going to need another touch. And here's the truth about you following Jesus. Because Duke, I played golf with you last week. You're going to need another touch. <laughs> Why, Jesus is all I need. Yeah, yeah. I got Jesus, I got everything I need. Yeah, but you know what he didn't get? He didn't get all of you. So here's the truth about following Jesus. I'm going to need another touch. 
when I don't see people clearly and I start barking at them and snapping at them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need another touch when the old attitude starts coming back up and there's pessimism and there's depression, I'm, I'm going to need another touch. When the same old issue comes back around again and I go to my go-to sin, whoo, there it is again. I thought if I'm done with that, I am going to need another touch. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. When my outlook's not clear, I'm going to need another touch. You see, some people and some blind people in the Bible receive their clear sight with one touch. And other people may not need a second touch from you, Jesus. But I came from Bethsaida. I came from a messed up past. I came from a messed up place. I came from a messed up family. I came from a messed up relationship. And me, I don't know about anybody else. But I am going to need another touch. Now, this man could have just faked it. I mean, for the sake of the crowd and the sake of sensationalism, he could have said when Jesus said, how you seeing now? I just spit in your eye. How you seeing? He could have said, "Woo, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, won't, I won't really say the truth. I won't really tell you the truth about what's going on with me now because that may not look good. And Jesus just touched me and spit in my face. I'm going to, I'll just get me some big old Coke bottle glasses and I'll just wing it because this is far better than it's ever been in the past. I'm not what I used to be. Whoa, I'm a lot better than I used to be. He could have faked it. But this man wasn't willing to settle for something less. He wasn't willing to settle for a low life because he had lived a low life. He wasn't willing to settle for something less than what God had for him just because he had never experienced anything better in his life. So this man said, well, I'm not seeing very clearly. And Jesus touches him again. Listen to this. Most important statement I'm going to make this morning. You can have God experiences in a worldly environment, but not if you're only operating on a first touch experience. Oh my God, write that down. You can have God experiences in a very worldly environment, but not if you're only operating on a first touch experience. Touch me again. Touch me again. David put it this way. David said in Psalms chapter 51 and verse 10, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. This is David, y'all. This is David. He said, create in me a clean heart. I've messed up. You know what he did? He had sex with a woman that wasn't his wife and then had her husband killed, right, to cover up his sin. And then he said, renew a loyal spirit within me. We're renewed. Make new again. Make my loyalty to you new again. In other words, God... Touch me again, because I've messed up. This is David, y'all. Now, I believe with all my heart, because I know you guys, I believe with all my heart you're going to say some stupid things. As a born-again child of God, matter of fact, throw that quote up there on the side screen if you would. You are going to say some stupid things. There it is. Now, now I want, you to, I want you to read this with me, and I want you to read it passionately. And if you hesitate or stop for a second, I'm going to come to where you're sitting and beat on your head. Are you ready? Yeah. I will say. Secondly, I will. Now profess this, but. There's the difference. And do you know why you're not going to get stuck on stupid? 
Because your default's been changed at salvation. Oh my gosh, let me talk about that for a minute. When you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, a default setting on a computer is that setting that has been previously assigned. So if you have a computer and you are typing out some kind of type, some kind of font, whatever comes up is your default setting of your font. And before you accept Christ as your personal Savior, your font may look like this, okay? So follow this. Your font may look like that, right? Okay. So you're doing life 90% like that, okay? This is how you do life. This is how you reason. This is your clarity. This is your understanding. This is what you think about money, relationships, cussing, telling bad jokes. This is how you think. Now, because it's your default setting does not mean that you can't change it. So you come to church on Sunday morning and you change it to this, right? Boom. So now all of a sudden for an hour on Sunday, you can look like everybody else. You can talk like everybody else. And you can play like everybody else. But shortly after you leave here on a Sunday night or on a Monday morning, boom, it kicks back to your default setting. And you can't do a thing about it. So you do 90% of your life prior to being saved in a default setting that looks like that, although you can manually change it when you have to. Now, once you've accepted Christ, your personal Savior, all things become new. Your default setting changes to clarity. So there you are. Now you're saved. You're doing 90% like that. Clear thinking, clear talking, looking good, coming to church, worshiping, feeling good. But that does not mean you can't manually change it back to the old you, right? So when, and then all of a sudden you're grouchy, you're very opinionated, you talk too much, you're not very kind, you don't know when to shut up, you tell you, you, you cussed out your body. You, you did all kind of, and you look like you look like prior to getting saved. But here's the truth: you can't stay that way. So even though you are that way, you had to manually click it over. So you're all of a sudden you're your default. You're, you're doing this. You're doing this because you put yourself there. If you'll just give you time, you'll click back to, bam, clarity. Because your default setting changed at salvation. That's why I don't worry about you. If you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to be fine. Because even though you can go to a bad place, you can't stay in a bad place. Not and be saved. You say, well, that's why I act like I act. And that's how come I say what I say. And that's how come I failed the other night. And that's how come I... That's not you. You manually, for whatever reason, decided to click yourself over to the old you when the new you is clarity. A second touch from Jesus. Wow. So two quick points. Number one, because of that truth. Number one, cut yourself some slack. Good Lord, cut yourself some slack. I don't know of any perfect people. None of my friends are perfect. None of my family members are perfect. Amelie's got her hand up. None of them, none of them are perfect. So you got to cut yourself some slack. There, there are times you love Jesus. Are you saved? Are you? Come on, talk to me. Are you saved? You love him? You're in here singing your heart off. You're worshiping to him. You care about him. You read your Bible. But don't tell me you can't have a bad attitude. Don't tell me you didn't say something stupid last week. Don't tell me there's not something you wish you could take back that you did that was totally not like a child of God would act. Don't tell me you didn't do that because you did. But cut yourself some slack. You're going to be okay. 
Because even though you acted that way, you can't stay that way. Get a good night's sleep, pull out the Bible the next day, click, you're right back to your brand new default setting. Cut yourself some slack. Number two, cut other people around you some slack. <laughs> Would you do that, please? Would you cut the other people around you some slack? If you're going to cut yourself, if you're going to cut yourself some slack, will you cut me some slack? Because they're not perfect. Take a look at this verse. I think it's in the Proverbs. Take a look at this. The Bible says, love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. And husbands and wives. Cut each other some slack. Let me tell you, yeah, let me tell you, wives, let me, your husband's going to say some stupid things. And he's going to do some stupid things. And not everything he says that is stupid and not everything he does that is stupid needs to come out of your mouth as a reminder to him. Just for God's sake, give him a minute. Just give him a minute. Back up off of him, cut him some slack, and give him a minute. He'll be okay if he's a child of God. And men, listen to me, men. If your wife is not acting right, if her feelings have been hurt, if she is not forgiving, just back up off of her and give her about three days. I thank you for clapping women because, you know, all I got to say is Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave in the same time it takes you to get over something. <laughs> oh, tell me it ain't true. Come on. I got security. Tell me it ain't true. This is really funny. My, uh, my mom, who's 87 years of age, will comment on her grandson's messages and you know she'll comment on mine every once in a while she'll say something about mine but anyway a few weeks ago she was listening to or watching a message online and it was one of those messages where I was picking on you women and she she doesn't understand the relationship you and I have you know I I'm like an aggravating brother I have said it I'm like a much older brother to many of you women and I will say what you need to hear, and I don't care if you get mad at me or not, I really don't. And, and I'm a much younger brother to a lot of you women, and I'll say what I, you know, and so I'm messing with you. I'm, I'm saying something like, like I just said. And my mom says to me, she says, son, she said, that was a really good message you spoke. But I got to ask you a question. Do the women in your church still like you? <laughs> Straight up. I go, yeah, mom, they do. I'm, I'm, hey, we're all right. I'm beginning to worry about you, though. But here's the truth. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your default setting has changed. And it does not mean that you can't manually click it back to be who you used to be. But you can't stay there. I believe every one of you can say some stupid stuff. And you have. And guess what? You will. I don't have to confront you on all of it. Neither does your wife. And neither does your husband. If we'll just give you a minute, you're Jesus. 
We'll take you away to a church service. We'll take you away to a camp. We'll take you away to the cab of your car truck or the cockpit of your car. We'll take you away to a chair in your living room that next morning. And he'll touch you again. What's he doing? He's clicking you right back to default. Would you bow your heads with me? In this relationship with your Heavenly Father, your wonderful, wonderful, good God, you are trying to have God experiences in a worldly environment. And God, I'm going to ask you, when I foul up, when I'm not as committed, when I'm not as boldly loyal to you as I used to be, I want to ask you, God, that when I'm not seeing people clearly, when I'm not seeing my future clearly, when I'm not seeing the situation clearly, that you would touch me again. I'm going to get my vision back. I'm going to get my outlook back. And I'm just going to start seeing the people around me the way I'm supposed to see them again. Because God, I don't think for me, one touch was enough. I don't think for me, because of the hurt, the mistreatment, the pain, the forgiveness issues, the mess that I came out of, I don't think for me, God, because of the mess that I came out of, that one touch will ever be enough. And I'm just telling you and confessing something, God, you already know. I need you to touch me again. I need you to touch me again. Amen. Bye, everybody. Have a great day.